relax. Those beats mean you're now listening to the very real people and places that supply your high. This is Grown Local with Billy Wayne Davis and Mike McGowan. Golly, that would have been so close. Cause, cause we we almost friends that like we almost started to do a whole at, the whole thing, and I looked up and was like, it doesn't say recording like it normally does, and I, mm. I said it, and he's like, oh oh oh, but, oh yeah, man, what if I wouldn't have looked up? We could have done this whole thing. <clears throat> that would have been fun. I'm sure nobody would have yelled at each other. Yeah, exactly. It's just. It's that I don't think we're the tensions were no one's as tired as we were last week. Where we no, <laughs> we where we we were all going in different directions. I went real Bill O'Reilly. We're like, we'll do it live. We're, we're gonna, gonna do it live. live. That is still like, one of my favorite I did, time I, videos. I love when they were trying to make him it. like look of all the things to try to make him look bad. It's like just show him talking, but that makes sense that's just somebody like there's a lot of pressure and someone's not doing their job it's like that was the only time where i was like man i feel like i, I feel like we're we should be with yeah. bill on this one. and then when he walks away in anger with the lava lamp mic or the lava layer mic and like it snags him and pulls him back it's the most amazing thing it's ever. well that's what anger does to you is you still you know <laughs> it's so funny also, I love a lava lamp, Mike. I mean, that's going to burn you. That's going to burn you if you walk away longer. It's going to fall. Uh, not a good mic. Not no, good. Not you're good it's bulky. It's, it's very bulky. Seamless. Needless. <laughs> oh, man. This is a fun episode. This was Mike. I've never seen Mike as happy as he was on this farm. It was, I mean, we'll post the pictures of this one because it's so i'll just do one of those on instagram where you can slide because this farm is amazing uh we got to smell the dirt uh we oh, just really sniffed it yeah uh, yeah and just get in it was special we saw it, different parts of it it was just like a it's one of those things where you're just like those places where you're like this is amazing and then afterwards uh, he talks about the home, I think, in the, like them building and sourcing the wood. Uh, I, I think he does. See, it was such a great day. But him and his friends source the wood from the farm and then build onto the original homestead with his family. And you know, on the outside, it is impressive and stuff. But you know, it also just looks like a like a kind of like a rough cabin in the woods. And then afterwards, he showed me the the uh, his. He wanted to show me the, the coffee grinder. I've been looking for one too. I, I wish that <laughs> motherfucker would have shown me that. I've been eBaying like a motherfucker. Um, but the inside of the house was just, and it was like one of those things where I remember too. Like, yeah, I lived in the country. You don't really care how your house looks because no one's coming to see your fucking house. It's like, yeah, the inside matters. Cause that's where you live and i was like oh yeah it's hard to get back here why would you make the and the inside is i was just like yeah i'm gonna kick your family out i want to live here let's go 
And just, just even the architecture of it is what it was, blew me away because like it just opened up to this beautiful floor plan and I was just like, get in the, the way, fuck out of here. In the way it it involved the original cabin, like my, my Mimi's house is kind of like that where it's an original homestead house. And then it had it goes into the extended part where my grandfather built it on, you know, for the family. So I guess maybe that's Paul. So I'm like, yeah. Oh well, look, we're coming to terms and stuff. I don't know anybody with cabins like that, and I was blown away by it. It was so cool. Um, I was just like, the whole operation was impressive, and and they sell their stuff, their all their all their food. I mean, he was trying. I was so bummed when it was the only time I was mad I flew on that trip was when he was trying to give us like a big basket full of like, uh, like lettuce, lettuce, kale, kale, mustard greens. (sighs) He had everything because they have a CSA and like was also supplying restaurants uh, extensively before COVID. So like it's an actual farm, which is one of my favorite things about this because my reality with cannabis a lot of times is that these are just farms where they also grow cannabis because the farmers love to smoke cannabis. And it also kind of buffers the cost on a lot of the produce that is labor intensive and you can't sell for a lot. So it's just like, it's a fucking farm is what it is. It's just he, so and he good. I made him he like handed me the cannabis as soon as he's like y'all roll a joint and I was like man I really like to watch the growers roll their own J and I've got pictures of him doing it and stuff and it, it I I'm smoking it the whole interview I'm smoking this giant hog leg because I knew that's how they grow it's just like well here the you farmer go here's, joint. This, here's this cigar and you're like thank you. <laughs> thank you and it's uh it's yeah so justin did the thing ladies and gentlemen give it up for bryce lynn forest farm Outside. Yeah, well, there's not just a tinge of headache because I'm breathing actual oxygen instead of <laughs> LA's bullshit. Well, and we're literally sitting here with several amazing jars of cannabis that was grown on this farm, but then also goat cheese, pepper jam, and then also the olives, which is from a, l- a close farm. Yeah, here in Bryceland, a neighbor. Yeah, maybe Living by the end it. of the podcast, we'll bust open that bottle of Pinot Noir from the uh, vineyard around the corner. <laughs> I mean, I haven't drank in eight years, but I might. <laughs> just a sip. I mean, just to see. Sunny afternoon hedonism. Then I, well, then my wife would have to come get me. I'm like, I moved. Like, <laughs> coming That's again. not how that works. <laughs> hey, I spent a year in LA. I, I got respect that you 
you can do it. It is. <laughs> it's waning on me, I'll be honest. And she can feel it. That's why she lets me go on trips. <laughs> yeah. Sustainability. Yes. Sustainability. Yeah, she, she realizes that she's more of a city person than I am. So she lived in New York City for nine years before. So I think L.A. is the country to her now. Yeah. And to me, I'm from a cattle farm in East Tennessee. So I went to L.A. and now I'm like, we need it. This is fun. I get it. I like it. It is what I do comedy-wise, but this is, she knows that this is where we're going to end, or I'm going to end up. <laughs> There's somewhere in between a cattle farm in East Tennessee no. and LA. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's a cannabis farm on a mountain, <laughs> if I'm being honest. I don't. With one or two cows. Yeah, yeah maybe a bison, if I'm being honest. <laughs> yes. They seem a lot chiller and way more delicious. <laughs> So Their time has come. Yeah, they, I think they yes. bring it back around for crying out loud. Uh -huh. Yeah, that was my my last real job was a server at Ted's Montana Grill, which is Ted Turner's restaurant for, and it serves bison. So it was all very sustainable. And it all came from his nice. herd and everything. It was really the, the only freezer they had was for ice cream and in kids' chicken fingers. So everything was fresh. Mm -hmm. It was like my introduction to that world. Well, and you probably learned a lot about bison meat because uh, you're selling it. Oh, yeah. No, I knew. I know. I can tell. Uh, and, and a lot about Ted Turner. My wife. I do know a lot about Ted Turner. And my wife, yeah, when bison comes up, she rolls her eyes. She's like, here we go. And, she, and somebody's like, how do you know so much? I was like, I had to sell it. And it's, it's pretty great. I was like, I was raised on a cattle farm. And I was like, it's better than cattle. Well, it is always funny when you see that just oh, there was a winter storm and all these cattle died off and everything. <laughs> and then at the same time, you'll see a bunch of picture of bison just with tons of snow on them, just yeah. walking around being like, what's up, guys? What's going on? <laughs> I think we need winter the local Schmitter. stuff. <laughs> we need the stuff that grew up around here. Yeah, that's true. So, But we are in the wonderful Bryce Creek, which is beautiful. What's Bryce Creek? It's, it's Bryce Creek it's, Farm. It's a nice nah, combo nation. Yeah, it, it's Bryce Land <laughs> and Bryce Miller Land Creek and Miller Creek. So, so, I already so got, you've got it. So well, you've I think really Bryce got to get Land, this, this little town was named after uh, the Bryceland family. Not even the Bryce family, but the <laughs> Bryceland family. <laughs> to be Bryceland. And had, you know, it, it, it was a, a a booming town back in the. Uh, Late 1800s or so. <laughs> really? It's, it's a little less so now. Yeah, it's coming back. It's, it's gone through a few booms and busts since then. Uh -huh. What was the first boom? Um, one of the first ones here of, of the, the kind of settler times um, was uh, the tan bark boom. So to tan leather... The, the tan oak trees around here are extremely high in tannins. So you, people would go out on a donkey and uh, peel the bark off of the tan oak trees as high as they could get standing on a donkey, <laughs> bundle it up, take it to town. There was actually uh, an old railroad here that brought it all the way to the coast to Bear Harbor on the Lost Coast. They'd put it on boats and take it down to a, a tanning factory, a tannery, um, by Sacramento, up up the delta there, ah. for tanning leather. So, they killed a bunch of old growth tan oak trees. <laughs> um, I mean, to the, the point where when we, when we redid the the um, deed on this property is 
recently as I think it was 99, um, we uh, we got it updated, and, and there was somebody that still had tan bark rights on this land. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody's great-grandkids could show up and be like, I'm here to strip the tan oak trees. <laughs> and you got to let them. And you got to let them. We say no donkey. They'd have a hard time selling it to uh, no tannery now, but you know. I just got the, why'd you, I have the rights. I just, <laughs> exactly. Listen, if the great, great grandkid's human. a hipster, he might be like, I'm revitalizing that it. That is. <laughs> I'll make you some shoes. Right. <laughs> I'll be like, Terribly great. uncomfortable shoes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, so it was. And that became because they could make money off the tree bark. That became it became a city, like a metropolis in the area. Yeah, it was a center where there was a lot of that industry around here. There was there were hotels, hotels. And brothels, one in the same. <laughs> okay, all right, I get it. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, a hotel there, is still kind that, of like, a brothel. Old structure feel of like old buildings in the the center of town, but it, they were all connected to a natural gas pipeline that caught on fire, and they all burned down. In when? What was that? Uh, I think 1904, maybe yeah. 1905, something like that. And I mean, there was also tan bark was the main industry at that point. There was there was also some ranching, cattle and sheep. And then later in the in the I, I think the 20s or 30s in the Bryceland area was logging. I did a bunch of old growth logging, uh, redwood and dug fir. And, yeah. yeah. And they picked the biggest ones. They picked the biggest yeah. ones. And and at that time it was it was odd that. The, the fellers and the yarders were different crews. So the fellers get paid for how many trees they fall, and the yarders get paid for the quality. So there'd be a bunch of old trees. The fellers would just fell as many trees as they could. The yarders would come through and cherry pick what was on the <laughs> ground. I know, so you go through and there's just giant down trees that have just stayed there forever. Oh, so they cut things down and then we're just like, ah! We don't need that one. And it's fascinating. Like the natural history of it is writ all over the place. You know, you yeah. see the trees that are left, the, the the tan oak trees that have grown up from the one that died back in the turn of the century, the the big Douglas fir trees with low branches, so you could tell they stood alone in a meadow before the forest encroached back on it. It's 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 fascinating around here. To like wow. walk through the woods and just you know the the history both all the way back. Um, to the Native Americans who lived here, and then the settlers, and all of it's just written written large across across the whole landscape. Well, and that's only really a history that can be told if you know to look for these things, or yeah. you understand what those things are when you come across them. You know, absolutely. Oh yeah, I'll just. Um, yeah, absolutely, and and it's like a history that comes alive with with that relationship. Control group. It's like you don't know what you're looking at until you kind of know the the baseline, like yeah, what yeah. Wh- where a place wants to be, what it what it is throughout the year. And yeah, I mean, the most amazing thing is to hear the people who have fallen in love with this area. <laughs> I mean, it was, as soon as it, what can you do? It's you can't do anything. I have, I have 
eleven year old and a two year old, and it's like as soon as all of our energy was like, "Don't do that," he was like, "Oh, I'm yeah, he's like that, yeah, that that makes a big sound." You guys all look at me, yeah, right as on. As soon guys. as we all reacted like, "Hey, stop doing that," he was like, "Oh, I'm gonna keep doing that." And I was like, "Yeah, you are." Yeah, yeah, it was loud. So funny. Just as soon as I was like, I know what he's gonna do because that's what I would do. Go for it. Yeah. Do you edit? Do you edit some? Yeah. Yeah, we yeah, we have an editor, but this is actually great. It just shows the whole thing. It's so perfect. <laughs> this is what a real farm and real family is. It really yeah, is. It is. What it, it's it's like once you have children, nothing exactly flows. It's no. like you have you have entropy incarnate in your life. <laughs> It's always going to be going. <laughs> yes, I have. Yeah, I have two. Uh, one with a different woman, and then so my youngest. For me, it's like the second one. So you know, the second one, it's a little easier because you just realize like what can and can't break, and what you can let them do, and what and just that the yeah. important stuff. And my wife, this is her first one, so there's like times where she's having moments uh, and I forget and I'll just be like, what are you doing? Oh, it's fine. Like, Don't worry about it. It's just a knife. They're it's, not going to hurt themselves. Yeah. Like, Whatever. We've really seen this. We've knife. done this. He's yeah. fine. That's that one's good. How is he ever going to learn him. to use a knife by the time he's three if you don't let him do it when he's two? <laughs> there were things that were just like, just, uh, he's going to fall. Just let him. No, yeah, it's like you really want to live all those first experiences with the first one. Like every, you know, the first poop, oh my God, you know, <gasps> all of it. Take pictures. And the second one, you're just like, okay, cool, they'll be fine. Yeah, that's. They're all right. I was the first. They're going to figure it I out. feel bad. It's just like, you guys paid too much attention, maybe. <laughs> well, and I think, like, it, the second one is a is a good ego equalizer like the first one you can either be you know it can be hard on your ego like man i'm really messing this up or really good for your ego like i'm this is great i'm just nailing this parenting thing and when the second one comes along you're like oh i don't have anything to do with it yes. <laughs> I, I, I can i'm steering I, them direction. i'm barely steering they yes. are them like that wasn't me they're not me what i do is you know, I can be nice to them about who they are, or not be nice to them about who they are, but they are who they are. That That's is, a great way to put that. <laughs> it is the truth. You can make your relationship with them nice or bad. That is exactly it. Yep. You have to learn how to communicate how they want to be communicated with. I think is. And when you it. man, we got some stubborn ones. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, you realize too. You're like, oh, I'm was hell. For that my was parents. me. Yeah. You're like, I've called my dad a couple times. Like, yo. My bad on stuff. He's See, like, and I've nah, done the opposite. Well, I've called my dad a couple of times and been like, this is you. <laughs> <laughs> you. I see you in him. This isn't me. <laughs> well, we have talked about before just the idea that farmers have to be somewhat of a stubborn breed. So um, maybe they'll turn out to be great farmers if yeah. they got some stubbornness. I to think them. I think it's possible. I, I know I know it's a it's a stubborn profession. You're like I'm gonna keep doing this. Money be damned. Yeah, we're trying to find the sweet spot where it's like we engage them and they're involved and they have their responsibilities, but it's not like this crushing trap so that they won't become stockbrokers to show us <laughs> <laughs> well, you, although a stockbroker raised on a farm could be the best yeah, kind I don't know. <laughs> no you don't want them in the stock market <laughs> <laughs> 
You just want them farming like big agriculture. <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, they're like, they're like it's all GMO soybeans as far as the eye can see, Dad. Aren't you proud? <laughs> you hold you up like Simba. Um, how, so you're from Hawaii. I I was born here. Oh, in Humboldt. I actually this this house up to about that tree. This this old cabin part of it. Um, I spent the first few years of my life. Um, and then uh, my mom moved on to Hawaii, and I, I spent most of my time growing up there. Moved back here about 20 years ago. What brought you back here? Oh, so many things. Um, <laughs> That's why we're doing this podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I went to college for a couple of years after graduating from high school in Hawaii and, and went a couple different routes, tried to live in L.A., do uh-huh. engineering school at USC. There's a lot of distractions to do that. I wouldn't. That's. I. Uh, I mean, weed was kind of my main distraction. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah. There's. Um, you have to concentrate a lot in engineering. You, and then did like, some the other way stuff. You describe it in what I know of you. You were just like this rural Hawaiian, like fishing village life. <laughs> you know, like grew up so rural. And which South Hawaii. Central is a lot like. <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> I can just picture. Yes, it is. Mismatch. Um, and then, you know, I, I kicked around, I came back to the land for uh, a summer and a fall, lived here, and, and one of our, our land partners was still living here in the cabin. I, I pitched a teepee over in the meadow and cool. lived here for a season and was saving up money to work on building a little cabin or something, and then had enough money for airfare back to Hawaii and ended up back there for about four years, um, living, learning to farm, growing weed and this and that, and... Um, and I came out here to visit, I was ready to, to go back to school, kind of wrap that up. And, um, I came out here to visit and the, the land partner who'd been living in our cabin here had passed away after 15 or so years living in the cabin, collecting old cars and junk and uh-huh. never cutting any brush. So the cabin was <laughs> like a, about to become one with the forest again. And I uh, like, you couldn't, there, w- there wasn't five minutes of sunlight where we're sitting like it was just grown in with brush and so um i decided to spend the summer and put a new roof on the cabin and work on it a bit and go to school in the fall uh up at humboldt state university and just that was 20 years ago 21 years ago something like that Mm -hmm. still going to classes yeah yeah no (laughs) no but i did manage six years without a degree hey i went pretty far too so (laughs) so don't brag that's a lot of learning that's that's all i loved it i did i did engineering and art and soil science and forestry and agriculture and all sorts of stuff all over the place you don't have to have a degree to to make any of that stuff tangible no i i think that's kind of when i got uh you know i was going to school and going to school and going to school and and i got to this point where i'm like i just kind of like i i have this homestead here i just kind of feel like doing what i'm learning a little bit more and not just on the weekends so yeah yeah i started it and moved back moved back full-time down to the land and and developing more and um working on infrastructure and shortly after that taylor and i met and we had a just such a like shared vision and dream of of creating a food farm together and um yeah that was 11 years ago Eleven. yeah how did y'all meet we met in hawaii i was living in on big island at the time and had just ended a seven-year relationship you had just ended a relationship and we were kind of in this moment of 
like total restart. Like I can do anything at this. We point. were both looking for a fling. We were, we were looking. <laughs> for, <laughs> her first moment was a fling. He doesn't live on island. This will be perfect. Oh, that you does sound perfect. <laughs> you don't fling in a small community. Yeah. <laughs> effectively. Yeah. And um, yeah, it does sound like you guys failed each other because you're both thinkers too. You're like, this will work out. Yeah. No, I remember our first. You know the. The first date that took a second to make it actually happen. You were about to leave and we had the first date and kind of, you know, showing, telling your story to each other. And it was just so perfect. It just kept linking up in these great ways. And that our like stated goal at that moment was to try and get like a off the grid, sustainable food farm and a com- like small scale commercial farm. And I didn't have the cannabis component yet. I wasn't like an avid consumer, loved it, but had never and he's grown like, it. I can grow this. <laughs> I grow the finest. <laughs> and I had all like humble, I always, humble. Whenever I visited Hawaii, I'd always bring some. Oh yeah, you you the, were known like that, as that is currency. Like you go no. to Hawaii, what do you what what can you share like as community as, as love with all these people you've known forever? Cannabis is currency. <laughs> Although now there's so much cannabis there, seeds are currency. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I like yeah seeds, the genetics. Yeah. That's that's like the exciting gift now. Yeah, totally. But yeah, at the time I was living in Hawaii, trying to do like a, a food forest farm there, and I, I had taught myself some uh, programming and web development so that I could move around and make an income that way. And it was just this moment where it's like, yeah, I can, I can pick up and go visit you for kind of an open-ended trip. I can take my my job with me. And in my mind, my the sweet spot was funding my farming habit through programming work and then when I actually came here and set set it up that way it, I never wanted to be on my computer and I was like this is the piece I didn't consider <laughs> that like if you're outside in the nice sun you come in from working and it just like you just have that like life all over you and I was in the house curled over a computer so then you know you you talk about a similar thing that you got into cannabis growing as a way to fund yeah. your farming habit like <laughs> it was totally it was the, the gateway gateway drug (laughs) (laughs) you're not helping us with the propaganda (laughs) by that the gateway to gardening and farming you know oh i that is very true not so so, you know i kind of simultaneously started uh started farming and and growing cannabis but definitely i i I feel and I've known a lot of people who were like, yeah, I, I grew this plant in my closet and all of a sudden I realized I could grow plants and here I am now with a, you know, a row of tomatoes and, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I started, I, I was working when I moved back to Hawaii. My first job was beekeeping uh, and uh, that that was gnarly and I was just stung to Everything shit. Everything you say is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and it... It, it sucked. I had a it bicycle, and I had to. That I was riding, cool. riding. Was yeah, queen no. harvesting. Yeah, it was queen harvesting. It was <laughs> yeah, a, a bee right. operation queen where we, you were going from small hive to small hive, and it was like there were bee diseases happening all over the world. So the, Hawaii didn't have them yet. The mites, the uh-huh. the varroa mites, and a couple other things. So there were a couple companies in Hawaii that that bred queen beans, queen bees, to be shipped out to to beekeepers around the world. So basically, you spend all day going beehive to beehive looking through it finding the queen bee you can't wear gloves because you have to super gently find her pick her up and, and put the her in a little attacked cage by the army and and you <laughs> piss them off as yeah because you you're taking their lady that's, so that's their like i would just have like like balloon hands by the end of the day <laughs> and 
God damn. This lasted, man. this was not a long period in my life. I was living at the beach. I hope not. I, I did it for a stop. month. <laughs> I did it for a month and I walked off the job and got a job on a lettuce farm. That does feel like a, that does feel like a job you Gentle just go, you're like, lettuce I, leaves. I quit. Yeah. Then, no, it was. Guys, like this happens. Nobody it was midday notice. too. Like I quit. <laughs> I'm going to sit in the truck until we go back to the shop. <laughs> I'm not finishing this day. You don't have to pay me for the morning. I'm done. This is just getting attacked by a thousand bees, and you're like, all right, quit. I'm sorry. The other workers look at the, the boss is just like, this happens. Yeah. <laughs> Third this time this week. Happens. And the lettuce farm was mellower. I bet. <laughs> um, Nicely. My my boss. My boss would would drive around on his on his his little lawnmower tractor thing with the bong and give us bong hits and just That's... harvest lettuce and wash it and so I got into that but it didn't pay very well and uh, well, I started growing weed yeah. because I couldn't afford to buy weed or like afford a surfboard or any of that stuff so um, yeah it just kind of happened at the same time I started started growing weed lettuce farming then got into you know a few different lettuce farms over a few years and then doing permaculture development and installs there in hawaii and um yeah loved it so wait that was in hawaii that was in hawaii that Here. was back in 96 97 something like that so how much was the cannabis a reality though here for you Growing I, up, was that what your family? So did? I didn't, you know, I didn't grow up here so much. I moved away when I was like four or five years old. Oh, okay. So yeah, that's what my family did. But my parents also moved away. My family came here. Um, both my parents originated in in New York City, um, and they ended up here in the in the early seventies. Back to the land movement. And they both did other stuff too. Like there's the shop there. My dad worked on cars and various stuff and. And, uh, they, they, when they had first gotten here, I think cannabis growing as a, as something that can make money was just becoming a thing. Yeah. Um, and they, they grew a little bit of cannabis. Um, you know, there's, there's still some, some gorilla patches out on the woods here that, that leftovers, all the, you know, old, old pipe and netting and stuff that we're working slowly on cleaning up. <laughs> or maybe it'll be part of a tour someday. Yeah. Museum. That looks like crap. But, you know, they mostly use no, that as, as a stepping stone. They both ended up yeah. leaving here to my mom to Hawaii when I was young and, and my dad, uh, elsewhere louisville kentucky was one of the places i lived out kind of your neck of the woods yeah there. that is um, a shady shady town oh, <laughs> i didn't say i didn't like Everybody it i just Tennessee says that. i didn't say i didn't like it i just said it's shady i have a good time in lots louisville. of trees you got keep your head on a swivel in louisville but that is the guy that i learned how to grow cannabis and so much of my life changed through him you know his farm the greenhouse i talked to you guys about the food just like it reminded me of his farm it was like hey i want to make a self-sufficient farm oh cannabis will make that happen mm -hmm. if i'm able mm -hmm. to grow it i can sell it and then i can slowly build this farm and do vegetables and make it self-sustaining so that is a common thread throughout the story i think it's a not Definitely. so secret secret that a lot of food farmers grow weed <laughs> <laughs> Well, you want to grow everything you want to eat. And it's one so, of the I mean, most fun plants to grow. It's so, so communicative fun, and just responsive and has an old relationship with humans. And you see it. Like, you do anything to that plant and it lets you know. <laughs> like, it's, 
it's it was a trainer. Fascinating coming through the the legalization process here in Garberville. You know, we've we've been doing the the farmers market here for for a long time for, yeah. for over ten years, and and you know a lot of old time farmers there, uh, people of another generation that don't really seem like they have anything to do with the cannabis industry, nah. and then all of a sudden like legalization happens, and and everybody's like, yeah, yeah. I, I grew some weed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you did? I, yeah. For, for 30 years now. <laughs> it's like, well, shit. Yeah, yeah. And I also know how to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> exactly. Did you know that? <laughs> it's amazing what opening something up and taking away stigmas does to people being able to be like, oh, yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It might be the like one of the only things I like about the legalization besides, <laughs> like, not people not in jail. <laughs> um, obviously. <laughs> but... But um, being able to be public about about something and and kind of the the sharing of knowledge that comes with that it's like everybody up here was doing their own thing and as legalization happened you kind of just unless somebody's your close friend you didn't ask about it you didn't see their weed scene and and as this has happened all of a sudden it's like oh you're coming together and it's like oh how do you how do you hang your weed in in the fall like mm -hmm. what what kind of system do you use how, everyone do you do was reinventing that wheel and all of a all sudden the there's 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 this public knowledge sharing that's going on and and sharing that knowledge to consumers because you know back in the day it's like my my weed that i grew so lovingly so carefully cured just right full organic would just go to go right in in the truck with some Whoever's, stuff that somebody yes. just sprayed some avid on Ugh. and like the day before harvest because they had some mites and you know there, there's no there was no accountability in that way mm -hmm. and there was no way to con communicate with with customers and with people at, at, at the end of that chain and for that relationship that that people could be like hey that that sour diesel I got last time what farm did that come from because that didn't give me a headache yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it made me feel really good Yep. And and I think one of the things you start seeing as you get into it is it's like, you know, the strains are a big deal. But what ends up being a bigger deal as far as what you like to smoke is, is the farm and how things are grown. And it's like that idea of terroir. Like you can take the same strain and grow it in 10 different places and you'll have 10 different, different products. And you can take a bunch of strains and grow it at the same farm and they'll all be different but there'll be something there mm -hmm. there'll mm -hmm. be something about them like a thread that runs through it all that has the that like je ne sais quoi. <laughs> <laughs> that, that I, little bit of something that that you can't put your finger on and and that's that's what we're going for you know with the idea of appellations like terroir the idea of of cannabis as a product that can impart something of the place yes up to two people who are who are connected to it the way that food does the way that Abs food does the absolutely. way that wine even does. more so in some yes. ways because it's such a cerebral experience and such a mood altering substance that to have it connected to something that looks looks and feels like this is well i'm getting to the where i can smell uh the stuff i buy from dispensaries and know what part of california it comes from Ooh. i mean i'm not <laughs> well like done. bragging but i don't think that's a brag i think it's like a I yeah. can tell what their culture is. Yeah. If that makes sense. And something money. nice that's <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with like, oh, this is this was grown strictly for money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I can yeah. smell it. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it is. It's interesting. <laughs> well, and something nice that happened, you know, under the the old market <clears throat> and is continuing now is that you were describing growing these different varieties in different places over the years people with their little microclimates here like if they're south facing or on a slope or up high down low everyone found their variety that just rocked in their zone and just saved seed from it and created these like very locally adapted <clears throat> strains that you can't grow other ways you, you know they like they have to grow here <laughs> some that's of them <laughs> cool turning them into land races that's one <laughs> yeah. of my friends you know his dad you know grew here in the 60s and 70s and they brought genetics up to eugene that they had grown down here and you know it went to seed and fell to the ground and mm-hmm. sprouted back up in eugene and he's like there's an oregon land race for you right there <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well and, and like what we have on the table here, we did some, some collaborative breeding projects with friends of ours this season. Uh, the the cherry lime dog with our, our buddy Jesse um, is one of them. And and we we seeded out a branch on, on every one of the outdoor plants we have so that, that we could not only look at its growing characteristics through the season and how it buds out, but then smoke all the buds, keep track of it all, and only save the seeds from the ones that just do exactly what we want in the place that we want it to do it and then save those and you get a few generations into that kind of breeding where it's really an intentional breeding you get these these plants that are just made for the place and and it's good (laughs) it's good stuff did you guys paintbrush yeah we paintbrush we paintbrush Sometimes we say stuff and Billy's like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> so, it means sex. Yeah. I, I do understand that. We part. had some hot, heavy paint brushing. <laughs> I took all that pollen. <laughs> now, you've mentioned it before, and it's in my brain. I just don't know what it is. And, but I do know you're taking pollen to pollen. I understand a little bit. I've been so, paying attention over the last year we've been doing this. So it's this thing where you, where you want to pollinate it, but it you don't want seed in your whole plant you want you you pick one bud usually kind of low down on the plant on the south side um you want to just put the pollen on that bud and make you know seeds but have the rest of your plant be be sensimia so you you pick a calm morning <laughs> you, you you have a little jar full of pollen you take your paintbrush you paint that one bud you cover your jar back up you don't let your pollen drift and and get more of it so that you can like intentionally see it. and that way you know if you want to make a bunch of crosses um you can paint different pollen on a bunch of different branches on on a plant and make seeds of all sorts of different. he explains strains. it better than you do i know <laughs> and just so that the listeners know they've already done tracking to see that just even one plant on a windy day can pollinate plants up to 30 miles away so that's very mm-hmm. delicate Man, and, and that makes me laugh i'm very sorry there's so for many you, people growing <laughs> shit outside in and la you guys there's so many people growing stuff outside and in we'll LA. miss their males like oh, no question so funny <laughs> the herms that yeah. pop off and they're just like that's weird it looks like that <laughs> yeah that jack we were at there's a one plant that was herming the fuck out and that's what happened that's funny that's funny to know what happened now <laughs> i was learning and or growing that's what we were doing <laughs> oh that's so always funny. <laughs> But that's a beautiful thing. I think it is important. Can to, I ask yes. real quick? So on those mornings, you're just sipping your coffee, and it just does it just hit you? You're just like, I'm going to go do it now. <laughs> no, I mean, 
it's like usually as everything is when you're a farmer, you're like, oh shit, if I don't do it today, it's too late. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate your honesty. That's great. So I mean, what we do like we we try to keep the male plants, so we keep them separate. Like we were talking about, pollen can really be a problem. Um, and so when they get mature, we collect that pollen up. We try to collect it up before they drop a bunch of pollen. So you'll get a big uh. a big uh, flower branch coming up on the top of a male plant and what we do is before before that pollen drops we'll cut that branch off and bring it inside and put it in a vase um over you know a piece of glass or wax paper or something so it drops its pollen uh-huh. and then we'll we'll carefully scrape that pollen up with like you know side of a credit card or something uh-huh. <laughs> and put it in a jar in the fridge dry it out a little bit so it's so it's not moist and put it in a jar in the fridge um, until it's uh, time to pollinate, so we'll have those a bunch of little jars marked up with the different genetics. And you forgot the, the important step of our goats always break into the boy garden and oh. eat the first wave. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's, that's the control. Inevitable, because the boy garden, the boy camp out there is usually in, in the outdoor shower of a little guest cabin on the land so that you can just reach your hand in, turn the shower on and water them. <laughs> or if they're about to drop pollen, nothing nothing works as well to, to neutralize the pollen as, as spraying water on it. So, huh. But when somebody's staying in that cabin they, during the season where you have boys in there, they, they just don't get to shower. It's, it's just part, part of what comes with it. Well, that's... It's, it's not it hard to, farm. yeah, I was going to say, you don't shower much anyway when you're living on the farm. Hey, no. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't. Yeah, you get the natural terroir of your own body going. A, yeah, I, I mean, they Water's do. scarce here in the summer. <laughs> got to. Oh, this is beautiful. I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to take in and do a little theater of the mind here. You guys were just, there's a. Giant, two giant, beautiful dogs. The Redwoods are all around. There's hoop houses. There's a chicken coop. There's a pond. There's kids playing. And it's just... If I would shut up, it's like beautifully peaceful. There it is. Ah. A moment of silence. I can't do it. It's, it's bad broadcasting. It's too beautiful. A half a moment. Half a moment. <laughs> They're scarce. So, I how mean, long have you been growing on this property then? Oh man, uh, <laughs> twenty years. <laughs> so, my history with growing is is in Hawaii. Uh, I was a gorilla grower. I, you know, I would dress up in camos and had a backpack and would hike down into some some ranch land and and grew my few plants and hawaii is an interesting thing because because it's like uh well number one i was on the big island and it's it's just a big rock like soil is hard to come by there. yeah so some of my first like uh experiences with like regenerative farming mm-hmm. building soil composting was just like i had, a patch that I had to hike it an hour to get to <laughs> so <laughs> what can i compost there and make some soil uh but uh yeah i i did did that style of growing there um came came over here and uh always just did like minimal grew grew four to six plants in in a little greenhouse this was back uh you know in 2000 when i moved here it was during the 215 days and and i was always on the conservative side i didn't really want to go to jail for growing weed nor do i 
like have I ever felt very motivated to get rich doing anything and another piece that I was impressed by at least is you know you're very connected in with the the land partners that were of your parents generation that you know and the neighborhood and just kind of in a communication with all of these older folks that did not have a desire to have a a young buck on the land <laughs> growing wild. Yeah, definitely. And so kind of, a, I was really impressed by that conversation because that was not what you were witnessing most places in this area. If there was a single guy who had access, or a girl, a single person who had access to land, it tended to go as big as was feasible. And you kept a very, like, beautiful cannabis garden, but it was it was definitely on the smaller side, but like boutique perfect everything. Yeah. <laughs> and then a massive vegetable garden that was, you know, double yeah. the size always. I mean, the way I planned out my cannabis definitely was that communication of respect in the neighborhood that's an established neighborhood and not one to like make anybody uncomfortable. But also for myself, like I, I looked at the projects and the things I wanted to get done on the land and about how much weed I needed to grow to do that. Mm-hmm. And then also to have my stash and take care of my friends and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, it was very much a thing that funded a water tank and water lines and solar panels and, and you know, rebuilding a homestead. And and just like year to year, like what what can I accomplish this year? How What, what kind of budget do I need? Maybe I'll plant one more plant and, you know, and... That that was how I operated pretty much until um, until we started doing the veggie garden and we started growing a little bit more outside. And in those days, our first couple of years of growing outside of that little greenhouse, that one up there was my whole, that square greenhouse was my entire weed scene. It's um, awesome. When we moved outside of that, it was in between the rows of our veggie garden and we had a bunch of fake flowers. We had <laughs> we'd stick on sticks all all through through it, so that phase because you know everyone went a weed a, a big old cola doesn't look like a cola if there's a fake sunflower yeah, next to absolutely. it. Absolutely, <laughs> at least not by helicopter standards. Yeah. <laughs> not like they had satellite imagery from space. And then and then the ironic thing yeah. is is when we became legal in Humboldt County, they were like. Well, you're not exactly on ag land, so we'll give you a permit for as much as you were growing before. So then we had to prove we were growing more than we were. Like, Everyone's struggling to See convince that? them that an orchard is no, cannabis. No, that wasn't a flower bed, I swear. Those were fake flowers. That was cannabis. No, those are sunflowers, dude. No, we're just no. good at hiding stuff. Ah. I can't change the game midstream. Yeah, they do. That's their. Oh, that's, that's their all move. they do. Yeah, they're, they're like a bad relationship. Well, and early on, I think we were all scared. We're like, uh, "You want us to prove how big we were to get a permit?" This seems like a trap. Too. It is a trap. <laughs> Looks like a trap. Smells With like pictures a trap. Pictures and dates. <laughs> you want us to go into your office and look at your satellite photos and point out which part of it is the weed? <laughs> Yeah, that's like somebody being like, yeah, we got your jet ski that you paid with drug money. Come get it at the police station. Yeah. Oh, I don't have a jet ski. <laughs> yeah, that is... <laughs> what a weird game. That sounds like the Florida version. Of- <laughs> <laughs> it yeah, is, in fact. It is, exactly. I was thinking that. 
So then when legalization did come around and they're like, hey, come in and show us all the stuff you've been doing, what was the driving force for you to want to go towards that? We had kids. Well, it was the, I guess, Bay had... Had a kid. We had a kid. You were pregnant. I don't remember when it happened. You know, there was nervous anticipation about this change for years leading up to it and all the little progressive steps so the conversation you'd have this conversation 12 times a day in town with everyone about what what are we all going to do and between us a, a piece was definitely knowing we wanted a family and we wanted to raise our family here and having seen some of the I mean folks that were raised here are some of the most incredible capable amazing people they're like unicorns in the world just this this lifestyle but they did have a legacy of like uh, secrecy often or that fear of their parents going to jail and that that's a heavy thing that I knew I didn't want for a kid so knowing we were gambling so many pieces in it that that felt like a safe bet like you know if it if compliance is too hard we have to surrender at least we'll be doing it kind of as a decision, not surrendering our home while we have kids or, you know, like having to walk away from the land or, or some bigger cost that we didn't want to incur. And I, I think another important part of it for us was like, this is what we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we're farmers and we we grow things and we grow damn good weed. And, and like, I want to be able to say that proudly and I want to be able to share that with the world. And and I also, a big part of why we farm is to make that connection for people to, like, things that are real. Like, growing food, like, beyond organic, growing real, nutritious food and sharing it with people. Growing cannabis in this way and sharing it with people it opens a door for people of connection back to something. And like to be able to do that, to be able to have that communication with folks and not be a secret was, was huge. It was mm-hmm. like, we want to be able to talk about this. We want to be able to, you know, pass it along, pass it along, and walk into a dispensary learned, down, yeah. down in the Bay area and, and talk to people about why it tastes that way and about why the way you farm things matter. And what effect that has on the world and that those choices that we all make day to day, you know, has a huge effect on the world. What you choose to do changes the people in the world around you. And, and, and we saw that and we're seeing that with our food farming and the connections we were making at Farmer's Market. And, you know, it was a gamble going legal, but it's like if this works out, this is a huge opportunity to connect with people. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, I and. There's something about uh, the regenerative, like getting back to the community part that we've missed as a society mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I really think cannabis is going to open our eyes to in a way because it, and I've said this on every podcast that we've recorded so far, but I, it's something that we have <laughs> to get out. It's important enough. It's so, I, and that's how you have to get the message out is you have to repeat it until you feel like a crazy person. Um, but... It is because it, you can't do it well on a mass scale. You can't mm-hmm. do big. You can't do big in anything. Big, <laughs> big agriculture <laughs> uh, with cannabis, and it's so funny to watch it. And so they're gonna have to come here, and then you guys are gonna be like, "Well, okay, you want to make money with weed and stuff, right?" And they're like, "Yeah, 
let me show you how we have to grow our fucking food now. And then they're like, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> they're right. <laughs> you got to go check on your neighbors who are elderly. Yes. <laughs> got to show up at Damn farmer's it. market. Well, got to be on the fire department. We were doing it right 100 years ago. <laughs> Why weed's such a, such a special thing. Cannabis is amazing because, you know, as a society, you know, we move to cities and we we give up our connection to all these things that are real we give up our connection to our our water just comes out of the pipe our foods at the grocery store our air smoggy whatever it is we give yeah, up our I... connections to these elemental things that are that are essential and when you give up your connection to like the things that sustain you you give up your power and and you're like that that's where a lot of problems come from you know that's you, get, where you get the hungry ghost you try to fill that well, disconnection with money all these things and and we by power what he meant is balance your center to who you are yeah. it's 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 something like and it's my wife understanding that i need to come out here and do these things because i traveled my whole life and this quarantine i didn't and it gave me a lot of balance and i got a lot of stuff straight in my life i never have but i also have to go see and be and do these things like this because mm -hmm. that's who i that's part of my balance mm -hmm. uh but that pa you're exactly right because if there's not whoever there's several very famous people uh griffin griffin park in la he and it's all ego but who cares why he did it but there's a <laughs> giant park in the middle of la because yeah. he wanted la to have like be a big major city and at the time, major cities had a big park in the middle of them, like mm -hmm. Paris and New York City. And that, they did understand that. I think people do understand that on some level, but we've forgotten it in this mass communication. And thing. the whole idea of those parks is like, if you're not connecting to, to nature some too, you're losing a basic part of your humanity. Yes. Like humanity is culture and cities and technology and, and socializing and humanity is also connection to to that source energy that that like that we all come out of whether it be the ocean or dirt or sun or there's a know. reason everyone wants to walk through the grass with with no shoes on <laughs> no matter where you're from where you grew up you watch people take their shoes off and walk on the sand or on the grass it's that that's what i got chills talking about because that's <laughs> what it is is everyone subconsciously knows like oh i come from this dirt and you're like yeah you do and you're going back to it too <laughs> and that, like with, with cannabis it's really really cool because you can reach people with that source without them even realizing they're getting connected back to that source when you grow cannabis in the ground in a place and water it with collected rainwater and and grow it in living soil and it gets these chilly breezes in the spring and hot summer days and that all goes into what that is like literally that is taking that air and that soil and making it into a physical thing and then somebody goes and smokes it, and that physical thing goes into their head goes into their their spirit and their experience and they're literally getting I'm doing connected. it right now. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> doing what it. he's saying. Right, I'm smoking his weed <laughs> on his front porch while he's talking about this very thing <laughs> and it isn't always that meta and it's not <laughs> it's not but if you can do it that way i recommend that 
Well, and I for sure, the way I grew up, you know, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. And so for me, cannabis was like, I'm going to get rich. I'm going to fucking grow some weed and stuff like that. <laughs> and then I came out and I worked on a farm and I was like, oh, wait, fuck money. Yeah. No, that's the uh, he did. He made some money and made terrible decisions with it. <laughs> and it was like I didn't want this all along. Yes, there you go. There's There's a there, why yeah, he's skipping over some very hilarious parts. There's a reason why I tried to get rid of this money as quickly as possible that's, the second I got. You, yes, yeah, you didn't. You were yeah, but it was to the point where I fell in love with farming more than anything. Yeah, you know, I managed a gardening shop. It was a grow shop for cannabis and stuff like that. But the thing that I love the most is talking to little grandmoms who are like, I need carrots. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, we're going to get some carrot seeds for you. <laughs> I'm going to teach you how to grow the shit out of some carrots. So if you spray this on your carrots every week, they're going to be like five-pound carrots, I swear. <laughs> You put those carrots in a grinder? <laughs> yeah. Mm. That's how you eat carrots. But even, even that, like when I first came to Eugene, my job was I, whenever the growers were out of town on vacation going to country fair and other stuff like that, I got to watch their garden for them. I got to take care yeah. of it. One of the biggest groups there that I worked for was House and Garden. So they used all House and Garden nutrients, highly synthetic and stuff. And even that didn't even speak to me. They're like, we could get you four pounds of light. on. it's like, man, I really like this compost tea for a reason, though. It just smells so good when I get to massage mm-hmm. the bag and the worm castings and everything. So it really can, once you get connected to the plant, open you up to a whole nother love and connection to farming and to growing anything. And I feel like that passion is like, you know, there in the industry, there's a lot of folks that are, that are scrapping for the money part of it. And it, and, and buying a bunch of bottled salt nutrients is, is easy. I mean, if, if you're just trying to make money, it, it's really the easiest thing to do is find a formula that works that you can control the variables on rinse and and, repeat and then do it and do it again and do do it it again and do it again Mm -hmm. and bigger and bigger and and you cannot sitcoms sitcom yeah Yeah, it's exactly that's exactly what it is it's a formula that they figured out that prints money absolutely pop music yep (laughs) yes and you know with with farming in the ground outside it's like you are not controlling shit You were on a ride. Think you are, you're fooling yourself. So like you have to let go of that control and like look to observing and replicating the pattern you see around you. It's more like like a dance. Listening. And it's like you're hearing it, you're trying to move with it, you're trying to take the best care you can of your soil and trust that the natural process will work and and sometimes it doesn't sometimes it fails miserably you know you get ashes raining down on you from a wildfire or you get some <laughs> pest the, comes in because a burns. huge grower next door brings a bunch of you know hemp aphids in but you know shit happens so but you got to trust that it, that it does that it's that it's going to work out because like i i mean maybe it's just like a, a failure but i certainly like can't I, I can't keep all those factors. I can't control that much shit and have it work out good. We uh, we get our compost tea tested every single week, just reading the fungal and bacterial contents nice. of it and everything. 
and I'm like, I'm gonna learn some shit. <laughs> and then at the end of it, it's like I know less now. <laughs> yeah, we got the a microscope. Same to- bags of compost, the same bags of castings, and it's like, what the fuck? Why is this one fungal dominant? Where'd mm-hmm. that come? Why is this one dead? Check How it did against that- the moon? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. You guys, we got a microscope, so and we 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 looked at the mic. You know, we look at all our compost tea for a little while. That lasts. <laughs> that seems a lot to be going on in there. You know, it looks like compost when I spray it. It, it works, and you know, and I mean, we we do uh, compost tea, pretty pretty decent compost tea regimen. But our main focus really is like building soil, and we're just discovering different and new ways to 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 efficiently build soil and leave it as undisturbed as possible. And we try, we experiment way more than is probably smart. Yeah, as far as like, you know, yeah, like, there's not. It's not an experiment without a control, Daniel. Like, <laughs> some of it. it I'm like, I all think we should crimp all our cover crop this year. All of brand it. new idea. Let's do it everywhere. So, what would you say <laughs> is an experiment? <laughs> so, what do you? What would you say is the most important part of building a soil? Ooh, is organic matter and the lack of disturbance across the strata like leaving all those beautiful layers and the tunnels for all the the life to access and air and water and fungal networks all of that and starting with the good soil like i don't think you should just uh you know start with the soil and start adding stuff on top of it i think it's good to test your soil and make sure you have all the minerals you need in there you can you know the the soil biology can do a lot with what's there but it can't do anything with what's not there yeah so like you know, making sure your minerals are in balance so that that it is like really healthy. And I, like speaking a lot from food, most of the soils we built up are for food. We built a lot of soils up for for cannabis too. But but you know, you want to eat food that's got all the minerals you need in it, and you want your plants to have that. And so, um, starting there, and then keeping roots in it as much as possible, because you know you can you can add. Uh, organic matter on top of the soil but the roots in there add organic matter to the soil and it, and it encourages the the consistency of the relationships like the the root root exudates and and that relationship between the plants and the biology of the soil is a key part to like keeping it alive like keeping like the way you keep a sourdough starter going by constantly feeding it it's like those relationships are what keeps it alive and um and even if it's, you know, a different plant, so it's like you go from your your crop in the summer into a cover crop in the fall and winter, and then maybe like in our in our perennial beds and not so much our farm, there's, there's um, you know, cannabis grown in the summer, but there's always potatoes and flowers and all these perennial crops that are, that are part of it too and are always rooted in those beds. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful cycle. The, the guy who taught me everything. I don't know why this farm is making me tell stories about him a bunch. <laughs> that's that's <but> great. <laughs> all of his cannabis beds, you know, had potatoes, had cabbage, had everything growing alongside of it all, and it's just like, yeah, that's what the soil's for, and it's a yeah, the civilization onto itself, and it's going to grow it all. So no, it's like Mike's teaching me to grow on the Patreon, me and the Green Beret, and. Uh, uh, not an actual like a man, uh, <laughs> but I would I could lose to an actual green beret. Uh, and but 
just getting the soil ready this past week, I've already been like, I'm about to grow some motherfucking food. <laughs> so it is, it's so funny that I've been listening to you guys talk about that. And then as you've been like, yeah, yeah, I can see that. And then I was like, wait, I'm doing that right now again. <laughs> well, and what I tell you, we're going to get the soil tested before we even plant anything in it to make sure it has all the nutrients. Yes, he it. said all the stuff he said too. <laughs> it's just like, it's like one of those things where as a, I know how my sons feel when someone comes in and backs me some shit I've said. And they're like, hey, dad says that too. And like, yeah, right, motherfucker? <laughs> they're like, yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Just because two of y'all think it doesn't make it any more true. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's Damn, exactly, man, you that's weren't how supposed they look to at it. Yeah, that's how they look at it. Like, I'm still, two I don't people care that are what wrong. you say because I'm your son. You're like, I know. More wrong. My son's like, yeah, but I'm five and I've seen some shit. That's... <laughs> They do have that attitude. Like, I already know some they shit. Know and you're like, listen, I'm 40. You don't know anything because I don't know anything. And I'm in charge of it. But I know this. Yeah, that's the only thing that I know for sure is I don't know shit. That is, uh, thank you guys so much. This is. I have more questions. So what do you think is, what's the California market like right now? And what do you think is some of the things they're doing wrong? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's say what are they doing right because there's less time to spend <laughs> on that. <laughs> that's a good answer. That's a great answer. Um, no, I, you know, they're doing the kind of thing that uh, the bureaucracies do wrong. Like, like kind of everything. Um, they, uh, they, they said they were going to try to keep it small. So, so when, when this, this hit, um, one of the rules in Prop 64 early on, the way they got a lot of backing from from the cannabis community is like, we're going to keep it under an acre. We're going to have an acre cap so that all these established people who, who are running small farms are going to be able to build up a business and establish themselves in a market. And all of a sudden, 11th hour, right before everything got, got put down, they took that acre cap away. And, and, you know, you see what Santa Barbara area looks like now. And it's like they they took away the the ability for small farms to compete in that way. Um, they they took away the ability also for small farms to have to have direct connection to customers. And I guess part of it is the definition of small farms. My definition of small farms is different. I know everybody is like, yeah, a small farm's like my size. A big farm's like anybody who grows more than me. <laughs> but that is a good point. Size is relative. That's a good point. But to me, <laughs> you know, they're like, well, you can do a micro business and you could be a farm distributor and that. I'm like, that's cool. All I need is a few hundred thousand dollars to get that going. And it's like, yeah, micro, yeah, yeah, micro, micro business. Micro. Yeah, micro. Um, so to me, they took away the ability to have a direct to customer relationship it's like i need to have somebody transport it i need to have a a distributor it, it needs to be held there it's i can't package it myself there's all these rules you know, that that take that connection of being able to engage with customers out of it you know we we'd love to do a wine club type model where mm-hmm. You know, people who like what they can get on our farm, we could just get it to them, just send it to them. It would be amazing. Test here on farm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that would be amazing if I could go online to farms I've been to and be like, what do you got right now? Yeah. And then Mm -hmm. you 
UPS or FedEx who Absolutely. are already doing that. <laughs> <laughs> are, uh, it's that Hedberg joke. It's yeah. like, I, I love the FedEx guy because he's a drug dealer and he don't even know it. Um, <laughs> that that joke's fucking 25 years old, you guys. Yeah. Oh, crap. <laughs> uh, and still very accurate. Um, I think he knows it now. Uh, but that is, I don't understand why it's not. Yeah. And we're working on something like we we teamed up with a few of our other like favorite farmers that that do things similar to us and um that we have a tight relationship with and you know our dream was always to to like bring our cannabis to people in the form that we have it like you look at these jars on the table you got you know it's it's untrimmed because it stores better that way because it's a plant that's what it looks like and yeah, it protects trichomes. It protects terpenes. You open that up, you start breaking off those outside leaves. It smells good. It smells so good. And <laughs> so we had this dream, like, what? What if you know we can bring larger amounts, half ounces, ounces, to folks untrimmed? That's how we store it. And you store a little bit more. If you store it an eighth or a, a, a gram, it doesn't have enough biomass. It breaks down quicker. It doesn't. It, it doesn't cure right in the jar so so we started a, a brand called farm cut and we do half ounces and full ounces of minimally processed like basically untrimmed we take the sun leaves off it's just those sugar leaves left on <laughs> flour and um, we can package it on farm we don't need to we hire a processing company to process it and and get it to customers and and you can go into a dispensary and and they can pick it up and this is it's almost exactly what we have on the table it's like how everybody who i've ever known who who grows grows cannabis stores their cannabis and smokes it and you pull it out and you get that ritual of breaking it up ah, and yeah. smelling it and <laughs> grinding it up and then you got your little pile pile of sugar leaves and you you know maybe you have a little jar of whiskey or something you throw it in or you save it up and make make a batch of cookies or something or just roll it into your joint or just roll it into your joint she gets it so as an oregon guy sitting here i'm like okay so it's untrimmed cannabis and you still need a processor like what are no i i don't need a processor for it i need uh, it a takes the processor out i need a distributor so what what you guys needs to can... happen in california it, it's similar to to liquor in some ways it's like I need to send any batch I have to a legal distributor that can hold it there while the the COA test happens, while while it gets tested, so that if it fails tests, it can be destroyed, yeah. or you know whatever can happen with it. But I can't like you know backdoor it if it fails tests. So they want it held by a distributor while you get legally while you get your test results. <laughs> And they so don't want they want you to have mail. a distribution license to get it to retail. So there, ha- it, it's basically written into the law that there has to be middlemen. Which, well, that's like as alcohol. a small farmer, it's, man. You're, it's it's the every alcohol is like that. Yeah. yeah. So, so as a small farm up in Oregon, our yeah. whole thing is we bucket down, we send it out for testing. It's at our facility. Um, testing pass. 
And then we trim it up and we take it straight to the dispensary and sell it. And then we get to talk to the bud tenders. Yep. We get to talk to all the people. And, like, when they're writing the laws, they're like, we're going to write it so it's more agricultural based. And I was like, yeah, sure, okay. But now hearing the process here in California, it's yeah, like. this is more planning department, like a building department. Well, that's the county oh, for yeah, sure. The county. And the state, it was definitely more enforcement, enforcement. type. Enforcement. And it. you can imagine why there's so <laughs> yeah. many people just sitting on their hands for years wanting to get us. In general, I've heard <laughs> and Oregon, still in power. Oregon yeah. is a little less uh, regulated. And, you know, it's got a, got its benefits and, it, and its consequences. You know, California's got a, got a heavier burden of regulation, but, you know, probably less clear cuts. And, and you know, as far as the testing in California, it's like it, most California cannabis even if it's not organic, you know it doesn't have pesticides and herbicides in it because it is so stringently tested and for heavy metals and all that. So there, there's this aspect of regulation. You know, I'm, I'm somebody who spent my life being like, I'm for regulation of industry. I don't want, I don't want the coal industry screwing up our rivers or you know the fishing industry to take every last fish in the ocean. So I gotta be a little bit self-reflective about the regulations that are imposed on what I'm doing. Well, but it's but Here's I my, want it to be intelligent. <laughs> my problem with that, I get a hold of shit in Southern California that has fucking pesticides and shit. Oh, yeah. For sure in it. <laughs> yeah. So that what they're saying and what they're doing are two different. Why they're huh. d- is bullshit. Because yeah. spe- there's some of that mass-produced uh, designer shit is sometimes really good, and other times you're like, this is, m- this may be poison. Yeah. Straight because of how harsh it hits and stuff. And the headache that comes out. It is it. it is like old school stuff where you're like, What did y'all do? Yeah. <laughs> I, had a, I had a friend in the city during during the black market days and he was like, You know how I can tell I get a really good batch of organic weed is there's there's some, some mites on it. <laughs> if I feel a little thing crawling on me, I know that's organic. Like, it's it's good. Spray poison right before it got harvested. There was a dispensary that, uh, you know, they would microscope everything that we would send them. Mm-hmm. And uh, one time they're like, "Yeah, we're not going to take this. We see bugs in it." And I was like, "What? Take a picture." And they took it. And I was like, "Oh, that's a green lace larva. Uh, you know, that's me actually using beneficial bugs yep. to make sure there isn't bad ones." And they're like. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, there, there was kind of a big deal a couple of years back, and it, it was when the the hemp aphid hit, mm-hmm. um, and it was it was pretty new here, and it hit hard. Um, and and there's a beneficial called a surfid fly or um, a hoverfly, and and it's their larva that eat the aphids. So they came in late in the season, and there was this incredible like abundance of food for them. They laid a bunch of eggs deep in those buds people harvested it dried it and the eggs don't develop the or they developed into larvae the larvae don't develop into flies until they're at a certain temperature for a certain time so we all cold <laughs> cure everything's all cool nobody noticed anything they went into into little eighth jars and certain large companies jars and and they went into dispensaries into room temperature and those flies hatched out inside each inside each jars. Oh, man, they all of a sudden got a bunch of complaints about. It. I opened my jar of weed and a fly came out. <laughs> Peeled back the little paper seal on it. <laughs> yeah, I could see that happening. Being like, whoa. Like, yeah, I'm gonna smoke it and then I'll take it back. 
<laughs> we're pretty hardcore when it comes to pesticides and herbicides and stuff like that. But the one thing I do feel like we are lacking is heavy metal testing. We don't mm-hmm. do that. And with cannabis being a bioaccumulator mm-hmm. to the level it is, I feel like that's very necessary, especially when people are organic farmers and they're using, you know, certain products like there are, I won't mention them, but there are some organic, you know, secondary mineral products that won't label that they have 14% aluminum in Mm -hmm. it. And like that stuff is scary to me. That's something that I would, as somebody who also has his problems with regulations, thinks needs to be nipped in the butt right away. And, you know, and I think the problem for me with regulations in California and regulations in general is they're not, nothing can be a one size fits all. So you get this regulatory structure and and the bureaucracies and the regulatory structures don't really want to regulate, you know, 10,000 tiny little farms. They'd way rather regulate 10,000 acre farms, you know. They get the same amount if they're getting their, their income based on the area. They mm-hmm. do a lot less bureaucratic work for the same area being in farming. So... So the regulations are written with with larger business in mind and, well, as and the written goal. around it. As yeah, as the mm-hmm. goal, as as the movement to well, make it easier. So it, they're it's written not by yeah. They're written it's by as the if corporation. Someone was behind if we're them, just I mean, telling them what to write. It's sweet that you think that that's that the corporations don't write those motherfuckers because this is this is a hobby of mine as politics. What, they yeah, do. Oh, they. It is. It's it's so good it's like can you guys hear mike did you guys hear me have to stop mike because like we would (laughs) have We would have had to do like three more episodes and we might go back. I don't know. We'll, I'd love, I'd go back there in a heartbeat. I want to go get food from there. Oh, um, for sure. We're doing that. So if like... you're in the area, hit them up. Cause there are, they at the farmer's market, Bryson forest farm. Oh, mm, it just reminded me of that time that off the grid salad I had. That was just the whole time I was like, I want to eat your food. It's so good. I know it's good. It's my body's going to thank me for being here and doing this. Going to taste more amazing than anything I've ever eaten. Their Instagram is great. You guys, he does it right. You know, I think he's, you know, he's a smart dude. As you can tell, he's got his foot in both worlds, which I think is the way to do it. Uh, his kids are amazing as you know she's amazing his wife is amazing it's just a, it was a special place and I, we were very thankful we got together mike was in heaven and i had to drag him drag him away I and mean, if we could have gotten snowed in there i would have been all right with it it is like i love every conversation we have they're all amazing but there's some that like change me deeply as a person and kind of speak to me where i'm at at different parts of life and it was just like Oh yeah, this is a good one. Yeah, Mike was different, like for good, in a good way. After that, where he was like a little more peaceful, and then almost too peaceful last week. Um, 
<laughs> you guys, thank you so much. Uh, I love you. Grow your own. Thank you, Slee. Follow us on the stuff. Hit us up on Patreon, man. We're we're popping seeds on Patreon. It's getting popping going. Seeds. Love you guys. Oh. Bye. Sweet.